you guys doing tonight? Sweet. If you got your Bibles, open up to Ephesians chapter 6. I'm pumped. I'm pumped about what uh, about this series and, and uh, about what God's going to do through it. If you're a visitor with us tonight, we want to thank you for being here. And, uh, and we're going to, uh, you know, uh, Coy asked you guys earlier, he asked this question. He says, uh, what's better, PlayStation or Xbox? And I'm just curious, where are my Xbox people at? Where are my Xbox people? All right, we got some Xbox people. Where, where, are my, where are my PlayStation people at? Where am I? All right, all right, all right. Where are my I don't give a crap about video games people? All right, all right. And so there's a lot more of you video gamers than non-video gamers. And here's the truth. Studies show that 90% or 9 out of 10 kids play video games. 9 out of 10. That's crazy, right? Not only do nine out of ten, not only do nine out of ten kids play video games, but studies also show that seven out of ten or seventy percent of adult men play video games. You know what I mean? So you thought that when you grow up, you got to stop playing video games. And I'm here to tell you that that is not true. I'm a gamer myself. I'm a gamer myself. Yes, and I am a. PlayStation guy. Where are my PlayStation people at? PlayStation. <clears throat> I just don't want to pay for the membership. You know what I'm saying? I'm poor. I'm cheap. And, uh, and, uh, and my favorite game to play is a game uh, uh, called Call of Duty, a small game. Not many people play that game. My favorite game to play. I love that game. And uh, it's a lot of action, and I like to, you know, like to kill people and, uh, <coughs> on a video game. And, uh, and did you know, little factoid, in the first month, the Black Ops 1, which was a Call of Duty game that came out like a couple years ago, in the first month the Call of Duty Black Ops 1 came out, it was played collectively 600 million hours that is the equivalent to 68,000 years of video games in the first month. Call of Duty, the game Call of Duty alone has been played since its inception over 25 billion hours, over 2 million years worth of people's time just playing a stinking video game. Now, I know... <laughs> I know what the adults are thinking, and I know what your parents are thinking. I've lost a lot of respect for your youth pastor because he plays video games and he needs to grow up. But did you know that the median age video gamer is 33 years old? And guess what age I am? It's only natural, people. Now, what about the science? I talked to you guys a little bit last week, and I told you, told you that I really like science. I love science. And as I talked about science last week, let me tell you what the science says. The science says that video games improves your vision and, uh, and, and, and the way that you see. In fact, to the, point, to the point to where now they are actually taking people who lose their vision rapidly and they have them play video games in order to restore their vision. Not only that, true science, not only that, but people who play video games are more alert. It improves brain function and they can do more, they are better at multitasking than people who are not. So the next time, 
The next time your parents say, why do you play video games? That's such a waste of time. You just say, I'm exercising my brain. That's what I'm doing. That's what I'm doing. And uh, true story. Now, here's the deal. I don't know, like, I don't know how you are when you play video games, but this is how I am. What I do is, uh, is, uh, is like, you know, I got my big TV, and, uh, and I sit really close to it, so the screen's like, you know, like close to my face, and I got my, my controller out, and I'm going, and I'm playing, and like, and my headset on, you know, yeah, I'm a gamer, and, and I get into the game, you know what I'm saying, and, and here's the deal, like, when I win, like, I get happy, you know, like, if it's a close game, and I'm playing alone or whatever, and I'm like, oh, we're going to do this, I'm talking to my team, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, he's around that corner, go get him, you know what I'm saying, and, and, and we win the game, and like, like I'm happy, and then, and then when I get killed, or like, our, our team gets dominated, you know, I'm like, like, I start getting, like, I get upset, I'm like, come on, man, we got to step it up team you know what I mean like I start getting into the game and dude listen if I run into a room and some dude is camping up on a table in the corner and he shoots me I will go back to that room a thousand times if I have to I will die a thousand times but I'm going to kill that guy for camping on me anybody with me anybody with me little campers what's wrong with you and this is what happens what happens is, is that, like, I get so into the game that it, that it, that I almost, like, it almost feels like real life. Like, I get tunnel vision on it, everything else kind of fades away, and it almost is like real life. Like, it's like an emotional roller coaster. Like, I feel like I need, like, a volume or something like that when I'm done, you know what I'm saying? Like, and I'm playing. But, but now here's the truth of it, and, and we know this, right? Like, video games, video games are not real life. Like when we get, when I get to the end of the of the game or the end of my session, when I go over and I and I turn off the PlayStation or the Xbox, whatever you play, like it's over. Like it's not a reflection of real life. In fact, you can be a great Call of Duty player and win in Call of Duty and lose in life, and you can also be a terrible Call of Duty player and lose in Call of Duty and, and win in life. Like. No, no academic institution like your college that you're going to or no like career choice and path that you take and the place you're going to work one day is going to, is going to ask you to put your, you know, your KD on your application to college or on your resume to go in, right? Like people don't care what your kill-death ratio is. It's not real life. Like... Like, you can get wrapped up in that world, but the truth is there's a real world that's out there. And, and, here, and here's, the, here's the thing, like, and I'm just going to help you guys out uh, and ladies. Listen, uh, <clears throat> being good at video games is not going to help you find a mate. You know what I'm saying? I, <laughs> no, no beautiful young woman has ever once in all the history of the universe gone. You know what really does it for me? He's a really good quick scoper. He, you know? <laughs> Like, that, that just does it for me. You know what I'm saying? Now, here's the deal. When I say that video games are not real life, this is what you're thinking. Well, duh, Derek, of course we know that video games aren't real life. Like, that's, that's not rocket science. And this is what I've found. What I've found is, 
is that you can be in a room full of people who've been around church, a room full of people who have been Christians, and they can distinguish between uh, a life on a video game and real life uh, in this physical material world, but very few of them can distinguish between the physical material world we live in and the spiritual world and the spiritual realities that live around us. See, the truth is, is that we don't just live in a physical, material world, which the physical, material world we live in are the things that we touch, the, the things that we see, the things that we can grab onto, the things that we know to be true. There is physical realities that exist in this world, but we believe that there's a God and there are supernatural things that are in this world, and there are spiritual realities and a spiritual world that exists, and that world is just as real as the world that we live in. In this series, we are going to be exploring this world, the war that is raging in the spiritual realms, that there is this thing called what we call spiritual warfare, spiritual warfare that exists, and we're going to tap into that. Over next week, I'm going to do, I am so pumped for next week, I can't even stand it. Next week, I'm going to be talking about Satan. I'm going to be talking about his person. I'm going to talk about what the Bible says about him. I'm going to talk about how he works, and it's going to be awesome. The week after that, in case you're curious, I'm going to be talking about angels and demons. I'm going to be talking about demon possession. I'm going to be telling some stories. I'm going to be talking about the demonic and how all that stuff works together and what, what are angels and what are their purpose and what happens when little Johnny dies. Is he now my little guardian angel? Like, what are the deals with that kind of stuff? We're have those conversations. And then the last week, we're going to pick back up with the particular passage that we're going to be in tonight, and we are going to get after it that night, and it is going to be incredible, and I'm so pumped about this series that we're in. Because we have to have this conversation, that there are spiritual realities that exist. So what is spiritual warfare? How do I know how to identify it? How, how do I know, where in the Bible does it say that there is this, like, spiritual realm and things going on. Well, if you got your Bibles and you open up to Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to read there. And if you don't have a Bible, you can grab one underneath your chair or you can look up on the screen. We ha we'll have it up there as well. Ephesians chapter 6. It's the last chapter of Ephesians. I'm going to read it. So you ready? It says this. It says this. Finally. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through this, and as I read through it, I'm going to pause as I go through because I want you to get every word of this. I want you to soak it in. I want you to hear it. It says this, finally, be strong. If you got your Bible with you and it's yours and you want to underline, underline there. Be, underline, be strong. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Whose power? His power. He says, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. And then notice what it says. It says, and put on the full armor of God. Underline armor of God. Put on the full armor of God. Now, he tells us to put on this armor, and the last week I'm going to be talking about the armor of God and the importance of this and how, how you can apply that to your life, this particular teaching, and I'm going to set it up at the end on something we're going to do over the next three weeks together as a youth group so that on that last night everything's going to come together. It's going to be really cool, and I'm excited about it. But what he says here is put on the full armor of God. This is what I found, that when you put on armor, you feel invincible. When I put on the armor of God... I feel invincible. It's like this. It's like, it's like Tony Stark. Tony Stark is just a man. But when he puts on his, his armor, he's Iron Man. You know what I'm saying? He's invincible, right? And he says, put on the armor, full armor of God. And then it says this. Why is the purpose? What is the purpose of doing this? He goes on to say, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. 
How do you stand against the devil's schemes? You be strong in the Lord and his mighty power, and you put on the full armor of God. Not part of it, we're going to talk about that last week, but the full armor of God. How many of you in here want to know how you can take a stand against the devil's schemes? I do. I think you need to know who the enemy is, and you need to know his schemes, and you need to know his plans in order to know how to deal with him, address him, and how to go about uh, being a godly man and a godly woman and fighting temptation and all the things that come along with that. So, how do you stand against the devil's schemes? It is about being strong, and it's about putting on the armor of God. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. If I can find my marker. There it is. It's hiding. Strength plus the armor equals stand. How do you stand? How do you stand for God? How do you stand against temptation? How do you stand when things seem to be falling apart around you? You you dap in the strength, and, and where does the strength come from? Whose strength is it? God's strength, right? It is His strength, or it is God's strength. It is God's strength that we tap into. We put on the armor, and that's how we stand. Here's the pattern that most people have. Most people are weak. And weakness plus nakedness. Get your minds out of the gutter. Equals fall. Weakness plus nakedness equals fall. Go back to the Garden of Eden. Weakness plus nakedness equals fall. This is how it works in your life. If a soldier went into battle butt naked, don't visualize it. It'll be bad. The guy with armor is going to kick his butt. You know what I'm saying? Or he's going to run because he's going to be scared. He's like, what's wrong with his fool? <laughs> Let's go on. Notice what it says in verse 12. It says, he goes on and he says this. Now, this is the core. This is what we just talked about. The physical and spiritual realities of the world we live in as we set up this series. Notice what he says. This is the core verse. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. That means human. But, but against the rulers and against the authorities, and against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. In other words, there are realms or worlds or spiritual worlds that exist outside of the worlds that we exist in. And when he says heavenly realms here, this isn't talking about like heaven. This is talking about an, another world, a spiritual world, spiritual realities of what exists around us. And then he goes on to say, therefore, so since these realities exist, he repeats it again. Put on the full armor of God. You can underline armor of God. So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then. Man, I think that as a follower of Jesus as someone who's walked with God for like 15 to 16 years, something for me that has been one of the most powerful things that God has shown me through the years has been how to hear his voice 
in how to handle the spiritual battles that are going on around us. See, a lot of times what happens is we get so tunnel visioned on our life. And I talk to students week in and week out, and I mention this all the time. And students tell me, man, I'm depressed, or man, this, this girl said this thing about me, and I had this broken relationship, or, or man, my parents did this. Or, and, and, and we go down this entire road of all of these different things. And, and what I've found is this, is that as I begin to talk to people, and as I begin to read Scripture, there's several observations that poke out in Scripture. And there's observations from this one. And the first observation, if you're taking notes, is this, is that we we all have struggles. We all have struggles. And this is what he says here in the passage, right? Like he starts out and he says, he starts out in the passage and he tells us, Be strong the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take a stand against the devil's schemes. And he says, For our struggles are not against flesh and blood. That we all have struggles. This word struggle here literally means to wrestle or to battle. We all have things warring in our lives, and these things seem to be physical. They seem to be on the surface, but these things are actually not just physical, but they're below the surface. And the struggles we have come in many different categories. They're conflicts with people. They're temptations. They're sins. Maybe depression. All kinds of things that we struggle with. And here's the truth. Every person in this room has struggles. God knew that every person in this room would have struggles, and that's why he addresses us. He says, listen, I'm going to show you how to get victory over these struggles if you'll just pay attention because every person in this room has struggles. None of us are perfect. None of us have arrived. Every single person in this room is dependent upon the power of God to overcome because we cannot overcome struggles on our own. And the second point that we see here, the second observation from this passage is not only do we all have struggles, but the second observation is this, is that our struggle is not of human origin. You're taking notes, you can write that down on your paper. Our struggle is not of human origin. What Paul means here is that our fight's not against humans, but it's also spiritual, that it's mostly spiritual. And I think conflict with others is a perfect example of something that seems very human, right? They offended me, they hurt me. They said something to me. They broke my heart. And it seems very human. But when you begin to unpack Scripture, you begin to unpack this passage, you see that, hold on a sec, struggles often in conflicts with each other have their core in the spiritual realms. Attacks from the enemy. I'll give you a personal example. My, uh, every time, Something awesome is about to happen. Maybe I'm about to go preach at a place that's like just this incredible place or it's like a big conference or, or you know, I, I have this really cool opportunity in ministry. Or every time I'm about to go on a missions trip or before youth camp or in the middle of youth camp or right before I'm about to speak at a night when I'm at a youth camp or something. I mean, every single time my wife and I get in a massive argument or fight. Now, she always wins. But we do, man. We get in a fight. Now, you say, well, that's just normal couples fight. No, 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 listen. My wife and I, we, we hardly ever fight. 
The reason we're fighting is because there's spiritual warfare going on there. And we recognize that we're mature enough now. We've been following Jesus long enough. We've been married long enough. We've seen this happen, and we say this all the time. Satan hates ministry, and he hates marriage, and he'll do whatever he takes to destroy it. He will do anything in his power to prevent the gospel from going forward. That's why you don't share your faith. That's why you feel fear. Do you think fear finds its root in God? The Bible says, 2 Timothy 1.7, for God did not give us a spirit of fear. If God didn't give it to us, who gave it to us? The enemy. And if you're fearful to share your faith, well, guess what? That's not from him. He wants to defeat you. He wants to oppress you. He wants to destroy you. Jesus even says, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy He wants to render you ineffective. He wants to drive a wedge between my wife and I when I'm about to do something in ministry because he knows that if he can drive a wedge between my wife and I, then when I go to this particular thing that I'm doing ministry at, I'm going to be thinking about that, and it's going to cause me to be crippled and not be able to do the things that that I can do because of God's strength because I've been weakened by this situation in my marriage. And we had this conversation. We'll literally be in the middle of an argument at each other's throat. And we'll both just be like, well, hold, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. This is stupid. We see you. Baby, I'm sorry. She'll say, yeah, but I'm, so, I'm sorry too. The enemy's trying to drive a wedge here. I feel it. I feel it too. Let's, let's battle. See, the Bible says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We have this power because of that. It's amazing. And so we begin to just have this conversation, and now she starts praying for me and warring for me, and now that burden's been lifted for me because I recognize that it's a spiritual attack. Do you know how many things in your life that are a result of a spiritual attack, and you're blaming somebody else, you're carrying around baggage and hurt, you're carrying around depression because of some situation that's happened, and if you just fully understood what was trying to happen in that situation, then you would understand that, hey, This is spiritual warfare. This is a spiritual attack, and you need to solve it. You know what the enemy wants to do? He wants to distract believers. He wants people in our worship team to get in arguments with each other and not be friends with each other and create disunity within this so that this breaks down so that we can't lead worship in this place. He wants to put scenarios and situations within a small group or within a connection group to where it's like, you know what, I just don't gel with those people. Or, you know what, man, I don't like that girl. I don't like how, man, she did this thing to me or whatever. Because he knows that if you go to those things, you're going to advance your walk with God. But as long as you remain immature and you ignore the spiritual realms, then what's going to happen is it's going to keep you from being connected and engaged and growing in your walk with God. And he's got you right where he wants you. This stuff happens all the time. I even tell people when we do our uh, opening uh, meeting with students that want to go on, to, on a missions trip, and everyone's excited, and there's like 50 people in the room, and I said, look, here's the deal. Many of you will not go on the missions trip. It's not because you're not committed now. You all want to go, but here's the deal. Satan doesn't want you to go. 
He is going to attack. He is going to influence. He is going to tear down, and he's going to do everything in his power to prevent you from going. And most of you guys are weak and naked, and you will fall, and you won't go. And it happens every year. Every single year. Don't think that that's just coincidence, people. There is a real spiritual battle going on. Not only is our struggle not of human origin, but our struggle is in the spiritual world, which we've been kind of talking about here. And I want to just look at just a few things within the the physical world, and we'll wrap this thing up. Uh, Look at a few things in the spiritual world that oftentimes we associate with the physical world. The first is temptation. The root of every temptation is in the spiritual world. Everyone. And this is what's true. What's true is, is that every single one of us, because we're human, we have a flesh. Our flesh has desires, and every person has different desires. We talked about this a couple weeks ago in one of the Q&A nights. We all have different desires. And our flesh desires different things. The things that you desire are different from the things that you desire. And what happens is this, is that, is that Satan, when he comes fishing for you or when he comes to tempt you, what he does is, is he says, you know what, um, I know that your flesh desires certain things. I don't necessarily know what they are, so this is what I'm going to do. And he pulls out his fishing rod and he hooks a lure on there and he casts it out there and he starts fishing for you. And he fishes for a little while. And he's like, you know what, he's not biting. When you go fishing and the fish don't bite, what do you do? You change lures, right? Man, this lure's been working for these three people over here, but it's just not working for him. Puts another lure on. And he casts a different lure until he bites. Thomas Brooks said this. He said, Satan baits the hook of the flesh with the temptations of the world. Satan baits the hook of the flesh with the temptations of the world. That in this world, there is every, Satan wants to promise that there's everything to satisfy all the desires that your flesh has. And it's a lie. He's the father of lies. He's the deceiver. But he wants you to believe that. And so maybe in your flesh, lust is the thing that's just really the thing that you struggle with in your flesh. Flesh, uh, your flesh is, is, struggles with lust. So what does he bait the hook with? What does the world provide? Well, the world provides porn. So what does he do? He baits the hook of the flesh with porn, and he casts it. That's how temptation works. Read the temptation of Jesus, Matthew chapter 4. We don't have to break into it. Notice how he tempts Jesus. He tempts Jesus with the things that Jesus desires in his flesh. The first temptation, Jesus is fasting 40 days and 40 nights. Hey, tell these stones to to become bread. It's something that he desired, something he wanted. Jesus would not have wanted anything else other than a meal after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights. It's a temptation. This is all spiritual when you look at it. Pain and hurt. Pain and hurt, the source of pain and hurt. And I know a lot of you carry around a lot of pain and hurt. It is not just physical. You say, well, my dad hurt me, or my mom hurt me, or my boyfriend hurt me, or my girlfriend hurt me, or this person hurt me. Do you know how many people quit coming to church and quit coming to youth group because someone hurt them? It is the most 
powerful weapon that Satan uses against teenagers in my belief is pain and hurt. It is. We don't want to talk about it. We bottle it up. And we're held down. We're naked and we are weak. And what happens? We fall. What about fear and depression? I mentioned fear a minute ago. God did not give us a spirit of fear. So that's spiritual. But what about depression? What about the things that depression leads to? Let me give you an example. A lot of people that struggle with depression, they, they cope with different things as a result of the depression that they have. Some people cope with eating disorders. Some people cope with self-harm and self-mutilation. Do you know where self-harm and self-mutilation comes from? It comes from pagan demonic practices of people who would cut themselves to worship false gods. It's all in the Bible. The core of self-mutilation is demonic. You say, it's my way to cope. No, listen, I'm telling you, it's demonic. It's spiritual warfare. Satan wants to destroy, right? He wants to kill. Suicide is demonic. It is spiritual battle. Anytime you talk with someone who's struggling with suicide, it is a spiritual battle and war. Because Jesus says that I come that you may have life and Satan comes to kill. So which one is the source of suicide? Satan. I'm not telling you these things to scare you. I'm telling you these things to prepare you. You have to know what's at stake. The stakes are high. We are talking about your soul. We are talking about the souls of your friends and the souls of the people around you. This is serious. It's serious to God and it should be serious to us. I think that most people do not live in the victory that Christ has for us because they don't understand and haven't been honest about this conversation and they don't realize that the source of a lot of the pain and the stuff they got going on in their life has nothing to do with this person over here and has everything to do with the fact that Satan wants to destroy. And so how do you deal with that? How do you deal with that? Well, that's what we're going to be talking about throughout this series. And the first piece of that is this. As I would say, how you win the battle, the first thing you got to do is this, is you got to be strong. It's the strength piece. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. God's strength is the solution to our struggle. Whatever your struggle is, remember we all have struggles. God's strength is the solution to our struggles. Go back to the beginning and what we talked about, be strong. It's not talking about being physically strong, right? It's not talking about like, hey, man, go to the gym and work out, and, dude, you're going to be able to handle this thing. But it's talking about being spiritually strong. It's talking about being spiritually strong in this thing. How many of you guys need that challenge tonight? I need to be spiritually strong. I mean, I need that challenge tonight. we got to be spiritually strong. We've got to be an army of God that is spiritually strong. But you know that your pattern is weakness. You know your pattern is often defeat. Like you want to be strong. You talk a big game, but you know you're weak. I'm not going to look at that point again. 
I'm not, man. I'm just not going to do it. I'm not going to do that with my boyfriend again. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. And then you get in that moment of temptation. And you fall. How do we win the battle? I love it because it says be strong in him and in his mighty power. This be strong isn't something that you can muster up in yourself. This isn't self-help, put your mind to it. Like, you can do anything you want as long as you put your mind to it. Self-help mentality, which all the books say and Oprah and Dr. Phil and everybody else will tell you. It's a lie. It's be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. I put this down. As long as you are trying to make yourself better, you will be distracted from dependence on Jesus. As long as you are trying to make yourself better, you will be distracted from dependence on Jesus. The power of positive thinking, the self-help stuff, you can do anything you put your mind to cripples people. Because it causes them to keep trying to depend on their own power, and they don't have the strength or the power to do it. And listen, let me just tell you how much of a lie this is. It doesn't matter how much I practice. It doesn't how, matter how much I put my mind to it. I am not going to be the next LeBron James. Just not going to happen. I'm right there with you. Like we tell our kids this all the time. We tell, hey, you can be anything you want to be. Uh, you can't be LeBron James, pretty sure. If you're five foot four, it ain't going to happen. Sorry, bro. Muggsy Bogues did it, yeah, and he was the only one. And he still wasn't LeBron James. Like, we just have to be honest with ourselves here. This isn't about what you can put in it. This is about God's power in you. This is about God's power helping you. How do you win the battle? You lean on God's power. You lean on his strength because his strength is the only power that can help you. It is his power living in you that gives you the strength to overcome. It gives you the strength to battle when you're in the struggle. That's the reason God's strength is the solution to your struggle. And this isn't meant to be a quick fix for one area of our life. A lot of times we deal with struggle with something, and we're just like, you know what, man, God, if you can help me get this thing right, then that's, and that's what we focus on. But this is a daily dependence on God to give you strength for every area of your life so that you can be victorious, so that you can stand firm, so that you can stand strong. This is what he's telling us here. It's, uh, one commentator says this. He says, to be strong means to know his strength. And to draw closer to him. To be strong means to know his strength and to draw closer to him. Do you know his strength? And what are you doing to draw closer to him? That's the challenge tonight. But stop trying to win a battle that you can't win. And start drawing closer to God who has already won. The challenge tonight is simple. The challenge tonight is, is that if you want to know the secret to being strong and tapping into his strength, you must draw closer to him. And how do you draw closer to God? He didn't make this thing difficult. It's not rocket science. How do you draw closer to your friends? How do you draw closer to the relationships around you? Will you spend time with them? 
Basically, what he's telling us here is, listen, if you draw closer to me and you spend time with me, then I will be able to give you the strength so that when the struggle, because we all have it, when the struggle comes, you will be able to take a stand. And so here's the challenge. I want to challenge all of you to commit to something tonight. And I want you to write it down. I want you to text it to yourself. I want you to remember it. And this is serious. I've explained what's at stake here. There's two things I want you to do. The first thing I want you to do is this. The book of Ephesians has six chapters. It will take you about 30 seconds to read a chapter. That's it. My challenge for you is this, is that it is seven days until next Tuesday, is that you will read one chapter a day for at least six of those days, and you would read the book of Ephesians by next week, which is my second favorite book in the Bible behind Romans. Then after you read the book of Ephesians, I want you to do this as you're reading it. My challenge to you is this, is to memorize the armor of God. It's only like two verses. It's not long, but to memorize the armor of God. Because here's the truth. If, it, if, if it's all about his strength and how we get his strength is drawing closer to him, then we need to spend time with him in order to draw closer to him. Then every day we need to be spending time in his word and in his presence and praying and seeking after him. And then if the second part of that in order to stand is to put on the armor of God, it is impossible to put on the armor of God if you don't even know what it is. So I want to challenge you to memorize the armor of God. It's something that I did years ago. In fact, one of my friends, one of my closest friends, who's a worship leader at a church about the size of 12 stone, he's an incredible dude. I've been friends with him for about 10 years. Every time he prays over me, he prays the armor of God over me. And so this is what I want you to do. After you read that particular chapter that day, I want you to pray the armor of God as a part of your memorizing it. And then, on the last week of this series, we are going to do something super cool on this whole armor of God thing. And we're going to bring it all together because we're going to focus our attention on the armor of God that night. And if you've memorized it and you know it, you're going to be a step ahead and it's going to sink in and it's going to click much more clearly for you if you do that. So that's the challenge I want to lay out there to you tonight. To put on the armor of God to pray the armor of God, to memorize it, and to get into his word. So God, I want to pray over these students. Lord, I know, I know that the enemy hates the conversation we're having. God, I felt the warfare all day today. One thing after another today seemed to go wrong. God, you know I'm not a person who over-spiritualizes things. I just see things the way that I feel like they are based on what your word tells us. I don't think it was accident tonight that what happened on the bridge with the girl having a seizure tonight. It's spiritual warfare. It's spiritual warfare. God, I just pray, Lord that you would protect these students. 
God, that you would help us to tap into your strength, that you would give us strength. You promised us you would, that we would draw closer to you, deeper with you. God, you didn't make this hard. You just said, hey, love me, chase me, pursue me. I'm already pursuing you, and if you do, I will give you the strength that you need to overcome. And God, I pray that this series would be a series of incredible victory for people. That as people begin to see how temptation works and begin to see how the enemy works and begin to see how the struggles and the fights and the battles that deal all with everything they have going on in their life all fits together. God, I just pray that you would just give them victory, that you would draw them into yourself. And Lord, that every single one of us would be a deeper, more committed follower of you as a result of it. And Father, I pray for those students in here right now who have big struggles. I pray for that student in here who's bought the lie because the enemy is the father of lies who's bought the lie that their life doesn't matter. That ending their life would be an option. I pray against that right now in the name of Jesus. I pray that that, 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 that authority would have no place among these students and among their friends and among their schools. God, I pray against every lie that has been believed by every student in this room. From I'm not good enough, from I'm not valued, from I'm not loved, from God's forgiveness isn't big enough, from whatever it may be. And so God, just direct us and guide us through this series, guide our lives. We thank you so much for the cross. We thank you so much for the victory that we have in you. In Jesus' name, amen.